On one Zoom presentation, an official from Marathon Gold Corporation said that if he was looking for a good place to build a gold mine, it sure wouldn't be Valentine Lake. On a height of land, surrounded by water, and in the middle of caribou migratory routes. Despite the best laid plans, is Valentine Lake bound to be a risky proposition? I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 161, and a special thank you to listeners like Mick Stevens, who support us on Patreon.com or via email transfer to Mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Well, I'll be okay. Join Mi'kmaq Matters for a special online meeting regarding the proposed Valentine Lake Gold Mine. Monday, December 14th at 7 p.m. Newfoundland time. Mark your calendars. Here are presentations from caribou and mining experts and from a traditional Mi'kmaq knowledge keeper. For more information and to register, go to our Facebook or Twitter pages. One of the people we'll be hearing from is Jim Kuypers, a mining engineer who has worked in the industry and now acts on behalf of NGOs, Indigenous people in the U.S., and First Nations in Canada. He has been retained by Mining Watch Canada for the environmental review of Valentine Lake. Jim Kuypers is also our guest on Mi'kmaq Matters this week. He talks about the challenges of finding foolproof safeguards for a mining operation in such a tricky location, an operation that uses deadly cyanide in its processes. My background is that as a mining engineer and somebody who's worked in the mining industry uh, for about 20 years before beginning to work with uh, the NGO community, tribes, and others uh, almost 25 years ago. Uh, So I have a a long background in mining, uh, ranging all the way from permitting to operations to reclamation and closure. In particular with the Valentine uh, mine, I'll be looking at that whole range of aspects Uh, beginning with simply how have they done the site characterization, Um, how well have they determined the potential for acid generation, uh, metal leaching, uh, for geotechnical uh, aspects such as uh, faults, uh, various places that are are better or worse perhaps to locate a tailing storage facility. So um, it ranged from that to during operations, what have they got in place to uh, make sure that they don't uh, spill water that could harm the environment, that it doesn't leak through uh, liners that the water treatment uh, that they're proposing, which is very complex, actually works. And then closure and rest reclamation, uh, because we really, we know the mine won't be there forever, uh, may not be there for the full projected life, could be there for, for some time longer. We, we really never know that until the mine actually goes in. Uh, but we want to be prepared to, when the mine does leave, uh, ha- make sure that the mining company does a good job in the reclamation closure and that if they go bankrupt, for example, uh, there's financial assurance in place that will actually ensure that things get properly closed. Hmm. And that, that's a, no easy feat given a lot of these mines uh, result in long-term or perpetuity, perpetuity water treatment requirements. Of course, this is uh, an open pit, uh, a series of open pit gold mines. 
And of course, as you say, you've, uh, you're no stranger to these kinds of developments. And just generally, when we're dealing with, uh, with gold mining, specifically, and open pits, um, what are the kinds of issues that typically come up when you're looking at these kind of developments? Sure. Um, and, and I might mention, I'm actually coming uh, to you sitting in Wisdom, Montana. Uh, and the state of Montana, very interestingly, is the uh, only state in the U.S. that has banned open pit cyanide leach mining. And there's a reason for that. Uh, we have a long history of having dealt with new developments beginning in the 1970s with very large open pit. Um, in this case, most of them were heap leach mines, uh, but others did run uh, through milling circuits, et cetera. Uh, the Zortman and Landusky mine, uh, the Beale Mountain mine, a number of other mines were developed by Pegasus Gold, a uh, Canadian gold mining company back in the 1970s, 80s, um, until the 1990s, approximately 1997, when they went bankrupt. Subsequently, um, all these sites became uh, Superfund or other sites that the state of Montana, the U.S. Forest Service, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management all had to take over the management of. And you can take a, a lot of learning from these sites uh, in that they, you know, gold mine sites in general, gold is placed in a geochemical environment that's conducive to acid mine drainage. And as a result, you get what we call mine-influenced water. Um, and the mine-influenced water can contain metals. It has lower uh, pH oftentimes. Uh, it can contain metals even at a higher pH, uh, such as arsenic and selenium. And so mine-influenced water emanates from these, these gold mines. And it's complex to deal with. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of different you know, mitigations out there that have been proposed over the years. Some have worked better than others. They never work as well as originally proposed. Mm. Now, uh, originally in this uh, concept, uh, Marathon was going to do heap leaching, which uh, for our listeners, uh, to put it crudely, you just pile the, uh, the, uh, the raw ore uh, outside and spray it with cyanide and, and you get the, 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 gold, the gold comes out of that process. They have decided not to do heap leaching and there will be a milling operation, a conventional milling operation. But of course, uh, cyanide will still be part of the, uh, of the process. And uh, I wonder if, um, if we should be reassured or how much reassurance we can take from the fact that they switched from uh, heap leach to uh, a conventional milling operation. Well, it, it's, it really has to do with two different things. One, if they're going to heap leach, a lot of that material is, is lower grade. And so you end up with a lot more material ultimately being processed. Um, and so if it were to work, and the, and the biggest problem with heap leaching in the particular part of the world we're talking about is um, it works great in places like Nevada here in the US. Uh, but Nevada is nothing like the uh, environment that you're dealing with uh, up in your part of the world. Hmm. And so I've actually been involved in a lot of heap leaching proposals, for example, in the Yukon. Um, and most of those haven't gone real well over the years. And uh, so switching to milling, it's, I, I'm going to suggest that it can be seen as an, as an improvement. Uh, but you still have to deal with cyanide, as you, as you mentioned. The proposal still includes a cyanide leaching circuit. 
the cyanide leaching circuit will rely upon a process uh, that we've all used over the years to kill cyanide or, or degrade the cyanide so it's no longer harmful. That process works to varying degrees depending upon the uh, quality of the design as well as the operation of it quite critically. Uh, but it's also not a, a perfect process, if you will. Mm. So, uh, and let's look at, um, let's look at the location of this, uh, of this mine. Uh, as Jamie Powell from Marathon said uh, on one of the uh, Zoom calls with, um, with interested members of the public, he said, if we were going to choose a location for a gold mine, this would not be it. Uh, because uh, for several reasons, one, it's at the height of land, it's, and if you look on the map, you see there's a lot of, a lot of blue around the development site and all that's water. Uh, it, it's very near, near you know, it's, it's in close, what, what anybody would have to term, very close proximity to groundwater and surface water. Okay. And, and, the, and not only that, but the water runs downhill, of course. Uh, uh, even, <laughs> even the uh, uninitiated like myself know that. So if there's uh, a misadventure, then... Um, the results will be felt far and wide. Right. So you got you have a sensitive um, ecosystem, if you will, um, both aquatic but as well as wildlife and, and other things, that if you do have problems, there's your receptors. Okay. So let's kind of take the juxtaposition between a, a good place, a better place at least for a gold mine, and and I, I guess I would I would agree it's it's a good place actually, um, is in many locations in the state of Nevada and in the U.S. Now that those places receive rainfall perhaps of uh, twenty to thirty centimeters per year, they have evaporation rates that exceed hundred centimeters per year. Uh, it's uh, a climate that has no real aquatic receptors. There are no uh, major lakes, rivers, streams, or anything. Um, and in terms of a, if you do have a, a leak of cyanide or let's even say a catastrophic tailings um, blowout, there's, there's not a lot downstream to harm and other things. Not to, to minimize the value to some people of that, the land as it is, as it is but the reality is that when you, you know, the worst thing you can have if you're a miner is a deposit sitting on top of water and surrounded by water. It, it complicates everything. Now, from an environmental standpoint, the mines I've, I've, you know, I've basically reviewed almost every U.S. mine, uh, both in terms of what was predicted and what actually has happened. And where we see problems with mines is not where we have what we call kind of high and dry conditions, such as I, I described in Nevada, but where we have sulfide deposits, and this is a sulfide gold deposit, located directly adjacent or even in close proximity to uh, groundwater and surface water. And in those cases, something like 90, 95% of the predictions that I've ever seen end up coming back as wrong. They say we won't have problems, uh, but, but the reality is problems always occur. It's a lot easier to deal with a problem like a leaking liner or a water treatment system that doesn't work, um, or waste piles wherever they may be not affecting a migration path of a major species um, in other locations. And, and this one just has a lot of different features that make it problematic and challenging as a place to have a mine. Mm -hmm. really. 
And I mean, I don't think we need to, and you, it may be, and I have no reason to believe that, uh, that Marathon is not, um, is not being uh, uh, honest and well-intentioned about mm-hmm. its, uh, its, intents and, its intent and its, uh, its commitment to adequate mitigation. But what I hear from, from you, Jim, is that they could, have, they could have the best intentions, but sometimes surprises happen that they don't intend and it's not uh, contemplated by the by the mitigation measures they they have in the plan. Yeah, you know, I I get to work with some of the best mining companies in the world. Uh, one of the best, certainly, in Stillwater Mining Company under what's called a good neighbor agreement here in the U.S. Um, so I get to you know kind of work under the tent, if you will, with the company. Things that weren't predicted to happen happen even at the very best mines. Uh, They employ very good engineers. Their staff is very diligent. Uh, We all try to work to think, you know, through through things ahead of time in the process we use there, but things still unfortunately do happen. And what you really have to have is the resilience, uh, the finances and other things to respond proactively, uh, to actually do things that might be uh, not what you typically do at a mine if you want to stay ahead of this, this potential issue. So, you know, it, it's always a challenge for any mining company to first they make their predictions, if you will. And again, you, you have to take your best shot at things, but few, if any, put in place the resources, the adaptive management plans, uh, the additional kind of layers of assurance of best practice that are are necessary, at least in my opinion, to uh, come out um, so that they, even when they do have a problem, it's been thought through ahead of time, uh, it's detected early, and you already have ensured in your design that you can in fact mitigate the problem. You're not suddenly just saying, well, now what do we do? Uh, That's not where you want a company to be. Yes. Now, I know you're uh, you're in the middle of your work, but I think it's interest. It's important to note that we are dealing here. Uh, we are working in a federal environmental uh, assessment process uh, per the rules of the government of Canada. And uh, marathon, what will happen will happen. If they do get a um, uh, the go ahead, then they will have to acquire permits from the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. So then the, the jurisdiction at play is, uh, is uh, the province. And, and, what, and what is the significance of that? I mean, I guess what that means is that the, we're very uh, beholden to the, uh, to the diligence of the uh, Newfoundland uh, personnel, the inspectors, uh, and the quality of the regulations. Right. <laughs> So um, I do quite a bit of work in uh, the Yukon, for example, and we have a a similar process that goes on where there's a federal process in Canada that looks at things, if you will, in the the big picture. And you do the environmental assessment, uh, might have review panels, various other things that occur as part of that federal process. But ultimately, when the process is done, it looks to the, the provinces in this case, to do the, do the regulation, if you will. So, um, you know, in the Yukon, for example, they have the Mining Act, uh, which really is the Quartz Act 
that they provide a license under. Then they also have the Water Act that you get a license. And one of the things I've worked on with them over the last 15, 20 years now, uh, working for a, a number of different First Nations in the Yukon, um, has been in modernizing their regulations. And, and that's been important because they've had a history of mine development that has failed um, and that has ended up leaving the liability with the government. And in trying to promote new mining, uh, they've recognized that you they needed to go in and modernize their regulations, not only their regulations, but very importantly, they needed to issue guidance. And guidance to regulations is very important. Um, so what you know, I can tell you now, and it's something that I'm, I'm just beginning to work on, is when you look at the regulations that uh, apparently exist for Labrador and, and Newfoundland, what you see is something that was first uh, developed in 2000. Um, in and of itself, there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of description. Um, it just requires things in, in abbreviated form. Uh, does suggest there could be guidelines, but I, to my knowledge, I don't think they've developed those yet. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I, I'm going to be seeking further information on and trying to look at. But the, the point I would get at is a set of nonspecific regulations from uh, essentially 20 years ago, uh, given the enormous change that has occurred in mining regulation, in knowledge about mining impacts, in um, what needs to go into the details of operations plans, reclamation and closures plans, financial assurance estimates. Um, it, it's concerning knowing that the process essentially ends up relying upon uh, this set of regulations and whatever guidance has been issued relative to them. And of course, we've had a number of mine disasters over the last 20 years that might have uh, impacted the quality of, uh, of regulations. The regulations would have we, one might have thought could have been updated in light of what has happened, the misadventures of the last uh, 20 years. So uh, yes. that gives us pause for thought. No, and, and as I say, I, I do need to uh, make sure I understand correctly the uh, genesis, if you will, of the present regulations or, or past and what has or hasn't been done. Uh, but that that's something I think particularly relative to my experience um, in, in Canada and how the process works, uh, it ultimately becomes most important what the province and what provinces, if you will, have in place to, to address the issues, as well as the staff, um, experienced staff, uh, experienced and, and, if you will, institutionalized regulatory program is, is very important. And it's difficult uh, to see the, how that would exist today. Mining engineer Jim Kuypers. Ask him your questions on our virtual town hall on the proposed Valentine Lake Gold Mine on Monday, December 14th at 7 p.m. Newfoundland time. Information on the Mi'kmaq Matters Facebook and Twitter pages. You can also find out how to submit your comment to the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada on the proposed gold mine at Valentine Lake. That's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Nimaltus. Nimaltus.